Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. There's a party and you're invited. The question is, will you attend? Does your answer depend on who else will be there? Does it depend on what food will be served or who is doing the inviting? Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the sermon, A Place at the Table. Our passage for this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. So please stand if you are able. Uh, Denzel Washington couldn't make it today, so I shall be doing the Bible reading. Beginning with verse 12. Then Jesus turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. That's so interesting. First service laughed also. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. As a trustee at Fuller Seminary in California, Pam and I were invited many years ago to one of a series of special dinners hosted by Fuller students at their homes. The school had set these up. The president's office uh, invited four to five student leaders to meet with different trustees. The seminary would buy the groceries and the Fuller students would cook the dinner. I had hoped and assumed they were to be the best and the brightest, as I am sure the administration would want to put its best foot forward to the trustees. Good idea, creative, brilliant. It would be a fun night. The student leaders could learn what the trustees are thinking for the future of the school, and the trustees could learn firsthand about the students' lives, hopes, and dreams. On that appointed night, Pam and I arrived at the apartment of the student we were matched with, the home of a student named Denise. Denise was a doctoral student with three young children. Denise was in the kitchen when we arrived, and the smell of food filled the air. So delicious. 
Her husband was trying desperately to entertain the kids while Denise cooked us dinner. He could only handle two of the three children, so she was holding a child with one arm while cooking uh, with the other. She was flipping burgers and sauteing vegetables without missing a beat. She should have a doctorate in multitasking, as most moms should. But then she broke the shocking news to me and Pam. None, not one of the students who said they were coming to dinner were able to come. Not one. They all canceled because they said something else came up. They had RSVP'd yes, but at the last moment, they said no. Immediately, I thought of the Bible passage we had just read. A host had prepared a great feast, sent out many invitations, but they all began to make excuses, and they didn't show up. And remember, their excuses were, number one, I just bought a field, which is like I need to go to the office and check on my investments, my business. Number two, one said, I had just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Kind of like, I just bought a Tesla, so I want to take it for a spin. And then, I have, I have a wife now, so I can't come. Which is like saying, I have family obligations. So who knows what the excuses were for the Fuller students? Um, but clearly, those uh, Fuller students who canceled on the dinner missed out on the greatest blessing of all time, dinner with me and Pam. It would have been funny and entertaining and stimulating and life-changing. I mean, if we were in an, an auction dinner, I'm sure our dinner would have gone for at least $10. <laughs> I was not sure if these students canceled because someone had a hot date or they felt they needed to study, which is their business, or they thought I would be boring. They must have talked to some of you about my preaching. Or maybe they took a long nap and forgot, like, you snooze, you lose, baby. So our dear embarrassed hostess, who had cooked a meal for eight to ten people, decided to call all of her friends, anyone who could come at the last minute. Just needed four or five more to fill the table. It was just like our Bible passage. She began to call and text to search the digital highways and byways, the country lanes behind the hedges. And so the ones who were not originally invited, who were not on the A-list of the seminary administration, were called at the last minute desperately by a young mom to say, please come, I have a banquet, a great feast of hamburgers. I'm embarrassed, I have important guests, please come. And one or two said yes, but like in the Bible passage, she said, but there is more room, so bring your friends. Now, I'll get back to that story later. But our text says that the kingdom of God is like a huge banquet. Many are chosen to attend, but many reject the invitation. And so the host goes out, invites more, and they become the ones who experience the wonderful feast of life. Or as it is in Jesus' metaphor, the kingdom of God that Jesus, the host, wanted all to have. There are so many levels to this story in this Bible passage. On one level, Jesus is, is inviting all of humankind to know him, to really know him, his character, his love. On another level, maybe he was saying, 
that the Jewish people should have readily accepted him because they're the ones who are waiting for the Messiah and Jesus is the Messiah. But the Jewish people rejected him. And so he said, I will go out to the Gentiles, the ones who were called sinners at that time, and I will invite them to the table. On another level, it's a challenge to us all. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Do you realize how great it is? Do you trust Jesus enough to go to it? Do you know the character of God that you would go, I would never miss a banquet with him. Jesus, the host of the banquet, said in the Gospel of Matthew in the sixth chapter, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you need, not want, but all the things you need will be added, will be given to you. On another level, in a Middle Eastern society where illness was seen to be the result of sin, he was saying, all are invited to me, even those who are crippled, the sick, the lame, even the greatest so-called sinners in people's eyes. And on another level, we know that in real life and not in a made-up parable, Jesus would dine so often with so-called sinners and he would do it so often that people would call him a drunkard and a glutton. Jesus once faced, faced his accusers and said this in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man, his favorite term for himself, being one of us, uh, but also God, came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We know that he made friends throughout the Gospel with people who were tax collectors who ripped off their own people like Zacchaeus and adulterers and embezzlers and addicts and drunkards and cheaters and fornicators and lepers and zealots and doubters and you name it, the so-called scum of society. He even made friends with women to talk with them in public, which was a real societal no-no. Like when he talked to the woman at Jacob's well who had five husbands and was living with a sixth man. We know that part of Jesus' bloodline was Rahab the prostitute, <coughs> whom, with whom he talked to, we, we talked about in our Joshua study. And Ruth, who was not a Jew, but a pagan Moabite. Hang on, I'm going to take a drink. It all means <coughs> that an incredible indicator... of whether a church is really a church of Jesus is if these kinds of people, people who are different, people who are labeled as outcasts or sinners are all welcomed in the church. You know, some of the main reasons people don't want to go to church is that they feel that Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. But we wouldn't be that if we knew that all of us are still sinners outside and inside the church. And it's just that, that we, found, we found Jesus and we're trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit to change for the better. What Jesus was trying to communicate in this parable, what was he trying to communicate? Overall, it is this. We all have a place at his table and we should be inviting others to the table so they too can know Jesus. That's the message in this sermon. And in order to have a place at the table with Jesus, we need to be humble. 
humble in at least five ways. First, we should be humble in our confidence. The problem with the world is that many in society think they don't need faith in Jesus because that is for weak people and not for people like me. They might say, hey, look, I'm a scholar, I'm sophisticated, I'm accomplished, I'm skilled, and I certainly don't need God. They may say, hey, I've had the good fortune of being talented and being charitable and smart, which are enough for me to get by in the world and to excel without the need for some silly religion and faith in some guy called Jesus. So I don't need the Bible. I don't need some kind of higher power. I am so together. And yeah, maybe I've done some little sins, but I'm, I'm no Osama bin Laden. I'm no Hitler. My flaws are minor. In fact, some say, I'm a really good person, not a sinner who needs Jesus. And if Jesus was tortured and died for people's sins, too bad, not needed for me, because I'm basically a good person. So is this person um, I just described a variation of you? Here's a perspective. When Jesus sends out invitations, the humble will accept and show up. The humble who know they desperately need God. We will never be at the table to experience fully a friendship with Jesus and have his wisdom in leading us to a great life if we are not humble in our confidence. Now here's an interesting factoid. In the United States, there is a correlation that the higher income you have and the more education you have, the less likely you will believe in a deity. For scientists who tend to be well-paid and have higher education, only 39% believe in a deity. Now there's one glaring exception to this trend, and those are physicians who tend to be in the top 5% of education and income but a University of Chicago uh, study reported that 76% of physicians believe in a deity which is higher than the average American by at least 6%. Maybe that explains why we have so many in our medical community who are part of our church prayer team. Now what's the reason? I would say it's humility. A humility that we humans and even physicians don't have all the answers for life and death. I would like to look at the list. There's a part of me that thinks, I think the military would be part of that, that they would know the dangers out there and that we need a God. Now, for physicians, Dr. Heidi Moad uh, reasoned about this medical study in an article she wrote. I think it was in 2016. She wrote this, the studies of physics and chemistry and biology are based on understanding scientific rules that are established by observation and experimentation, while medical studies are fundamentally based on the human body. The human body certainly follows rules that are explained with biology and chemistry and physics, but there are many unanswered questions about it about how the human body works, how it deteriorates, how it heals, and how it responds to medical intervention. Hence she says, success in medical studies and the process of providing patients with medical care requires a certain comfort level with many unexplained scientific concepts. 
end of quote. If we don't think we need more wisdom or need to listen to Jesus, we won't even hear his invitation to the table. Second, we should be humble in emotional health and morality. As you all know, from afar, I have loved Alcoholics Anonymous. I think done right is one of the best cultures and environments for human uh, for humility and growth. Everyone in the meeting knows why you're there. You begin by giving your name like, I'm Dan and I've been an alcoholic for 10 years. Uh, that's just an example, not reality. <laughs> or how long, or however long have you been. So no masks, right? No facades, no boasting of, I can do it on my own strength. All are there because they know they have a weakness, that, that they want to drink alcohol, but they shouldn't for it makes them into a person they don't want to be. I love the opening statement of who they are and, and they have a need for that group and for one another and, and for everyone at the table and they encourage and listen and learn from one another. Similarly, that's why I love our divorce care and grief share groups. There are no masks, no facades. Everyone knows why they're there due to a divorce or a death of a loved one and they're grieving and, and, and they want help to find again that North Star or that Christmas star in their lives. I love speaking to divorce care. There's a wonderful, humble spirit there. If I had a magic wand, I would wish that every Bible study that our church offers would begin with each person going around to state their names like, I'm Dan, and then say, I'm a sinner for many years. And boom, right there, like no masks, no masquerade. It then gives us a whole different entrance into studying the Bible. We have a need. We are all addicted to sin and selfishness terribly. And we need the word as an AA person often reads the blue book. So when we study the Bible and read it together, we're all honestly saying, I need this because I'm so lost without it. We would be like thirsty people who desperately want the living water of Christ, hungry people who desperately need the bread of life, so hurting that we need the Holy Spirit, who Jesus calls the counselor, the comforter. And that kind of humility would revolutionize our church and our lives. But we tend to want to slip into our sophisticated self, our cool self, our vanity fair cosmo self, where we're kind of vogue on the outside, but we're kind of vague on the inside. We want to be the posh people. So if I follow Jesus, I kind of dabble in it because I don't want people to think I'm some kind of uneducated, non-intellectual, crazy Jesus freak. But the reality is the Bible, <clears throat> Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they are our lifelines. Hence, if we can be humble about our own morality, we would be so much more open to how we need the forgiveness of God. Which leads to point three, that we need to be humble in worship. What would that mean to, for us if we came here on a Sunday morning and we were truly humble in knowing how much we need God? Why, we would be singing so boisterously and fervently of this great God who loves us so much and has saved us time and time again. 
we would savor over every lyric, whether it be, be thou my vision, or you're my living hope, or amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once at a liberal um, in theology worship service that didn't believe people were at heart sinners. And they changed the lyrics from saved a wretch like me to save a soul like me. And other revisionists have come up with from saved a wretch like me to saved and strengthened me or saved and set me free. But I say, no, we missed the whole point. If we want a place at the table, we say saved a wretch like me because my name is Dan and I'm a sinner and I have been for decades. We can be self-centered and insecure or too angry and make mistakes in judgment all the time that might hurt people more than help them, even when we try not to. So Jesus said it more plainly about human nature, and you see it all over, whether in the world of politics or entertainment or sports or business or in the home. And he said this, get ready for this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery, and sexual immorality, and theft, and false testimony, and slander. And we go, whoa, that's hard. We also need humility in our calendar. And now you're going, oh, now you're really meddling, Dan. Point four, we should be humble in our busyness. In our Bible passage, look at the list of excuses why people don't want to be at the table with Jesus. There are those who are busy who have 10 oxen uh, that they need to try out or so busy with family issues or so busy with investments that they have to go check on them. And so they miss out on the kingdom of God banquet with Jesus. And all are reasons, but they're not good reasons for not being with Jesus when he invites us to his table to dine with him. Our um, Family Life Director Karen Makashima reminds our staff often that there are many good things to choose from, but what is our best yes to affirm and say yes to that? Our calendar should be filled with best yeses and not just good choices, because good is often the enemy of great. If we're truly humble before the Lord, we will we will know we need him so badly that we'll be lost and unable to conquer the things that trap us or hurt us. So we need to make time for him and clear out the calendar and make time for him. So we make time for him in our calendar and then put other items around that. Put the big rocks in first, as Steve Covey would say. And that leads to the next step. Then we better make sure we have time in our day to invite others to know Jesus. We should be humble enough to be inviting others. I often see a healthy growing church as this, that we are all beggars trying to help other beggars find food. And when we discover that Jesus is really the bread of life that people hunger for and the living water that we all have been desperately thirsting for, how dare we not be actively inviting people to know this Jesus, because we're all people who are beggars, really trying to help other beggars find food. Hence, we should be active in the community, showing Jesus love, and then, if appropriate, invite them to an event where maybe at that event, you don't 
you personally don't have to be articulate about Jesus, but there's some others there who might be. So more than most of our other uh, adult programs, more people come to know Jesus through the Alpha Course. And over 10 weeks or so, in a very safe environment, people get to explore the issues of faith and life as they have dinner together, watch a video, and then just discuss the video without judgment. So I'm going to ask you to do one of two things, one um, for homework, for all good teaching has homework. Number one, could you go to Alpha if you have not yet? So you might understand how it leads people to Christ in a gentle, loving, tender way. Or, today, write down four names of people you would like for them to know Jesus and then pray and pray and pray and pray and then at the right time, invite them to Alpha that starts January 30, Thursday, next year. Let me tell you the, the, the power of, of making a list and praying for people. George Mueller, you may not know the name, was a Christian evangelist in the 1800s. He was also the um, director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. So he had a full-time job in that too. He prayed, get this, not for four people, for 100 people to come to know Christ. He was diligent about it, 100 people. And he kept a list, and every time over the years someone became a Christian, he would scratch his or her name off and kept diligently praying for the others. And when he died, are you ready for this? 96 of his friends and acquaintances gave their life to Christ. 96. But get this. At George Mueller's funeral, the remaining four committed their lives to Christ when they heard the gospel preached at the service. Will you please, please make a list of your friends and family and colleagues whom you desire to know the Lord? and then pray. You might be the only person praying for that colleague at the office. Start off with just four. You don't have to start off with a hundred. Just four. And if they live in Hawaii, pray and invite them to Alpha, and maybe even go with them to help them. You see, if Jesus makes a place for you at the table, will you be intentional and invite others to his table where there's a spot waiting for them? Will you have a spirit that you're so happy when you see a visitor at our church that you'll go out of your way to say hi to them rather than stay in your own clique of friends all morning. When it's meet and greet time in worship, will you cross the aisles and talk to people who might be standing by themselves? And do we realize that when Jesus goes out to invite people, he means everyone. Yes, everyone, even those who are different than you. I don't know where you're at, but different for you might mean Republicans or Democrats or Trumpers or non-Trumpers or married or divorced or widowed, never married singles, older, younger, straight, gay, rich, poor. For in our Bible passage, when the cool and sophisticated are too busy to come to the banquet, Jesus in the parable says, then go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the banquet will be full. Go into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. Invite Taylor Swift, but also Kanye West, <laughs> who apparently is now a Christian because someone gave that rude, druggy, drunkard rap artist a place at the table. And he heard the gospel. 
or as the Message Bible says, which is a paraphrase, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and wretched that you can lay your hands on and bring them here. And I would add that they would join us misfits. In our passage in verse 14, Jesus says, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So who are you inviting to Thanksgiving? Whether here at church or your home. Military families? International students? People with no family to join us? People who might never go to a church, but they'll go to a Thanksgiving event. So often we do things to make ourselves look good. Can we get in the rhythm of helping or inviting people who could never, ever repay us? One of our new members in our class last weekend said, I am inviting all my homeless friends to the vine, our new campus next year in Kaka'ako. Praise God. They may not be cool and, or sophisticated. They might even smell. Yes, but that is what God wants us to do whether Kakaka or Koala. Jesus went to the cross and died so that we would all have a place at the table, and that is God's character. Some are so busy and they can only make it to Christmas and Easter services, but not for the other 50 weeks. Don't get me wrong, I'm not bummed. I'm just glad at least they come. It's a start. There's a place at the table. But more could hear the gospel and the true Christmas story about Jesus if we, we were all more intentional in using those Christmas Eve uh, service time cards, invite cards, to really hand them out to our friends and invite them. There is a place at the table for them. Now, one person said to me, you know, Dan, here's the truth. I don't want to invite people to the Christmas Eve services. It's already too crowded. But that's not the mission that Jesus himself calls us to. He told us to go out, make disciples of everyone, invite them. Our Lord said it in a different way in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He is inclusive. He's a great host. And that's why we have five services for Christmas Eve we will do our darndest to present a gospel in music and word that people can understand that they might see it is worth leaving their oxen or their obsession with work or their family obligation so that they may know the wealth of Jesus and the fun and fulfillment of the banquet. When we come to dinner, he has invited us so that we would be blessed for eternity. And when we come to a dinner that he wants to us to be at, we may be surprised by his grace and mercy and love, his wonderful character. Now, if I may, let me go back to my Fuller Seminary story to tie this all in and land this. It turned out that one of the guests, uh, Fuller students, who came to the dinner for me and Pam, and who was not on the original invite list, was thinking about leaving seminary. She was going through a really tough time, and she, she felt lost and questioned her abilities and calling. And so during dinner, I asked them where they all lived, and they gave their addresses. And I was surprised that um, this one student um, gave an address at an apartment complex that I used to live at while at Fuller Seminary and also finishing a master's at USC. And I asked what apartment number it was, and she said, number eight. 
and my heart dropped. I was stunned because that was my exact apartment when I studied at Fuller. And she offered to show me the apartment, and I'm like, I don't know. I was hesitant for reasons I'll soon explain. But Pam said, yeah, let's go. So off we went to the apartment, and I, I shared with her how it was actually a sad time for me to see this apartment. And, when, and, you know, when I walked in, it was decades earlier, that memories came back and how two weeks after I arrived at seminary, uh, my wife at that time left me, and then nine months later divorced me, and then a year later uh, had a child by this other guy. And uh, while at the seminary, it was suggested um, uh, by students that I should not become a pastor due to the divorce. And the day after I got my divorce papers, I flunked my New Testament survey final exam due to my extreme uh, sadness, uh, and I got an F. Clearly, those years in seminary were wilderness years. I was a misfit. As I stood that day in my old apartment, I told that student that as much as there was at first an initial, initial wave of sadness that came in and around me, I also felt a wave of grace coming in, replacing that sadness. And I said to her, you know, I'm standing here right now with my wife Pam of, at that time, of 35 years. God gave her as a gift to me, pure grace. And she and I started uh, a ministry called Hawaiian Islands Ministries, and we have trained more than 60,000 church leaders. Me, the person who should not have been a pastor. And though some thought I should not be a pastor because I was divorced, this church, First Presbyterian Church, gave me a chance for my first pastorate and hired me out of seminary as broken as I was to become its assistant pastor. I've now been an ordained pastor for 40 years, and by God's grace, when this church left our, our previous Presbyterian denomination to join another Presbyterian order, at that time, we were the 18th largest church out of 10,000 headed by the guy who should never have been a pastor. And the seminary that gave me an F on a final exam I'm a trustee, man, of this school. <laughs> All pure grace. So when I was done telling my story, that student had tears in her eyes, and my sharing of my story gave that student the will and the courage to not give up and finish her studies, and she graduated, I believe, last year. Now, remember that this person was not originally invited to the dinner. She was only invited after the hostess, Denise, went to the highways and byways to find guests to come. And because this student came, this serendipity, she got unexpected good news that God is a God of grace and she's not to give up. And it changed her life because of an invitation to a banquet. So when there is a place at the table... When we invite people to our fellowship, they experience the character, the grace, the goodness of God. And they realize that being with Jesus is the best use of their time. So let's be happy if more people are invited. And if they take our usual seat <coughs> in a worship service where we normally sit, then rejoice that they are here. For all the seats 
are here for anyone that the almighty God himself invited to have a place at the table. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, hopefully we always come to you in humility, especially when we come to pray for you. Hopefully, we always come with gratitude. Always remembering all the great things you've done for us and blessed us. And so as Joy leads us in this song, may we, may we hear her sing it with great thankfulness and then may we join her in the chorus and the verses as we sing this song to you. Amen. You know, in essence, it's all about, in the end, will we give our lives and um, my all to love and follow him? And, you know, for some of you, um, this might be a time that you're thinking, you know what, I would love to pray with someone and really figure out what that means or maybe commit my life to Jesus. This is the one. This is the Sunday. I want to do that. And so our prayer team will be in front of the choir risers, in front of the cross, and they would love to pray with you. And if there's another issue, if there's a physical healing that you want or emotional or some other spiritual healing, they would love to pray uh, with you. But if you have that desire for any of those things, uh, the prayer team confidentially will listen to you and, and seal that before the Lord for you. But for all of you, I have a blessing, so please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his countenance be upon you and his grace be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart this wonderful Lord who loves you, the love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who invites you to his banquet. And may you always say yes, that you will give your life, your all, to love and follow him. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. We are all invited by God to dine at his table. And the cool thing is, we can also invite others to dine along with us. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services too, on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.